Welcome back to the Testudo Times podcast. Big week this week for Maryland football coming off a win over Michigan State to improve the 4-1. and one. Purdue looms on Saturday. I'm Ben Dixon alongside Emmett Siegel. Emmett, how are we doing today? I'm doing well. Uh, happy to be here. Yes, sir. Happy to be here. I uh, have to say, would be remiss to go on with this podcast without sending our, our well wishes to our buddy Sam Oshry, who's feeling a little bit under the weather this week and couldn't make this week's podcast. But we're good to go. We got uh, Emmett and myself bringing you everything you need to know about Maryland football in its current situation. Emmett, we'll start kind of recapping last week's game against Michigan State. 27-13 win for the Terps, uh, obviously dominant uh, in that perspective. The the score might not show that as much, but this is a game that Maryland could have won by 30-something points. Uh, Michigan State never seemed to have a chance, at least in the second half. Uh, what were your biggest takeaways from Saturday's game? Uh, it was probably the most complete uh, effort I've seen from the Terps this season, um, just in all three phases. I know uh, Loxley kind of mentioned this after the game. Um you know, the offense played well, the defense played well, the special teams played well. I mean, the only real blunder you can think of is in the first quarter, the the defense gives up a couple points, but then they rally. Um, they didn't allow Michigan State to score at all in the second half. Um, just overall, a really complete performance. And it was a spot that I was a little worried about a potential letdown after, you know, a close loss on the road at Michigan. You can see how maybe you know, you're down a little bit after that game, but they came out and they looked great and uh, definitely inspiring a lot of optimism heading into this Purdue game. Absolutely. A letdown spot for that Michigan State game, not only from that perspective, but also the fact that Michigan State was coming in a, a desperate team, coming off a couple of blowout losses. A team that was once preseason top 15. I think it's safe to say that they are definitely not a top 25 team in the country, probably not top 50 either. But Maryland, you know, did what they needed to do. They took care of a brand name in Michigan State, a team they've had problems with in the past. And, you know, that as to be a really good team, you have to emphatically beat the teams that you know you're better than them. And Maryland did that on Saturday. Absolutely. I mean, when we talk about competing with these bigger, more prominent, at least in the last couple of years, programs in the Big Ten East, Michigan State's definitely one of them. And part of becoming what Maryland wants to be is beating up on teams like Michigan State when they're in their down years. If you're losing to a team like Michigan State that's down this year, but has been really good in the past then it doesn't bode well. But now that, you know, you get you get this win under your belt, uh, it kind of proves that you can kind of take advantage of these teams when they're slipping a little bit. And as we saw against Michigan, and obviously, you know, we don't want to harp too much on it because they did, you know, end up losing that game. But uh, it proves that maybe they can compete with the big boys even when they're good as well. Right. I mean, we were talking about that Michigan game is, is probably one of Loxley's, if not his best, you know, performance or most encouraging performance as head coach to go toe-to-toe with that top five team in the country on the road, the reigning Big Ten chance, but that's in the rearview mirror. Let's dissect this Michigan State game a little bit more. I mean, you talked about the defense. The defense was, I mean, unbelievable in the second half. No points allowed, 75 yards, I think eight total yards in the third quarter, which was amazing, and I think they started it off their defense uh, the second half with a couple three and outs, one four play possession, not sure which order exactly that took place. But the defense just bottled up Michigan State, and and I focused my game story on that Saturday. But looking at the the box score even more closely, you know, days later, it's so impressive what this team did. What what do you think, you know, stood out about the defense on Saturday and what was so special in the second half? How were they able to, you know, flip a switch like that and just completely lock down in the second half in your eyes? I think it was the adjustments they made. I mean, Brian Williams is in his first year, at least as the play caller on defense or the full defensive coordinator, whatever his official title is. And I mean, they looked really good coming out of the half there. 
um, as you said, they kind of set the tone early and frustrated Michigan State. Um, Michigan State's quarterback, Peyton Thorne, he looked pretty comfortable in the first half. Um, he was kind of dotting his receivers. His receivers were getting separation. The running game was getting a couple yards per play. And if I remember correctly, the running game dropped a couple yards per play or per rush, I should say, um, in that second half. It was just overall a really impressive adjustment there to see them make Thorne uncomfortable kind of bottle up that running game and, and and overall just kind of stifle a Michigan State offense that, you know, early in the game, it kind of looked like it was going to be a shootout. The game kind of settles down and that ended up playing in Maryland's favor. 100%. The, the adjustments are, are so huge. And it, it really wasn't the first game where we saw Maryland look much better in the second half. Um, I'll have an article coming out soon about, you know, what Maryland's defense has been able to do so well this season. But the second halves in pretty much every game have been significantly better than the first. And you got to give credit to Brian Williams, his defensive staff, for making the necessary adjustments. And I also think I wanted to mention one thing that Loxley mentioned during yesterday's press conference about, you know, you hear this more in the NFL, but obviously the same in college. All these coaches are so creative, scripting openers and first 15 plays or whatever, and, and presents these college defenses with exotic looks. I mean, this Maryland defense is really young. Like you guys, you have freshmen, true freshmen in Caleb Wheatland, Jay Sean Barham, Gavin Gibson, Lionel Whitaker playing every now and then committing, excuse me, contributing to this defense as true freshmen. Just how amazing is it what they've been able to do so far on, on, you know, in the Big Ten with a veteran defense and kind of making their mark here as just first year players? It's really impressive. And I think it's a testament to the player development and the talent evaluation that this coaching staff is capable of. I mean, you see last year, you know, the linebacker group kind of takes a hit in the transfer portal. You you lose a couple guys that you're looking at as potential building pieces. Then you go out and you get Jay Sean Barham and you get Caleb Wheatland. And, and I would say Jay Sean Barham might be the best player on defense so far this season. He's been really, really impressive. Um, and as you mentioned, the defensive backs, um, I would, I would love to point out like, Bo Braid and Dante Trader, they're not even freshmen. This is their first time really getting major playing time. Nope. And they've looked really comfortable. I mean, Braid especially has played really, really well. Um, Maryland's defense, we talked about it a lot going into the season. They were a bit of the question mark. What are they going to bring to the table? They definitely passed all their tests so far. I mean, with a couple exceptions, they've looked really, really good. And they haven't looked like they've been scared by the big moment at all. Right. I mean, we're not saying this is an elite defense by any means, but it's it's definitely a sufficient one, given what we've seen so far. Talk about the linebackers and Jay Sean Barham being the best player. They're also all doing this without Ruben Hippolyte. The leader of that room has been out with an ankle injury. Should expect to see him this week. We expect to see him last week, too. He's practicing, but not sure about that. Great point about the safeties as well. Secondary was a big question mark. Kind of knew what you had with your corners with Ja'Cory and Tarheeb and Deontay Banks. But, you know, Bo and Dante playing like this, it just adds another element to this Maryland secondary. Also wanted to touch on that point of, of talent evaluation real quick before we move to this next part of uh, of this game. Michael actually knows what he's doing in this recruiting world. I mean, we were talking about it the other day with Kobe Prentice, the wide receiver who was formerly committed to Maryland. He's like Alabama's best receiver this year as a freshman, which is insane to me. Absolutely. I mean, that's kind of what Loxley's reputation was coming in. It still kind of is, is that he's this ace recruiter. He understands the recruiting game. I don't think that's dropped off at all. I mean, I know that the recruiting results, at least ranking wise this year are, are maybe a little down from, from years past, but even then you kind of have to put an asterisk on it. Cause you have to say that these three-star guys or even these unranked guys that he's going after that are committing to Maryland, you don't even know what they're capable of. I mean, like you said, Kobe Prentice was, I believe unranked. He gets a Maryland offer. He commits to Maryland or or at least was going to commit to Maryland. Then all of a sudden Alabama picks him up. He's like this five-star recruit. And now he's dominating in the SEC. Unbelievable. So, 
it, it, it's pretty wild to see just how good this staff has been um, at evaluating those diamonds in the rough and kind of picking them out. And that's what you have to do at a program like Maryland that might not have the attraction of like a blue blood program, like an Alabama, like an Ohio state, et cetera. You kind of have to to find these hidden gems and, and develop them into the players that can compete with those five-star, four-star recruits. Right. And to see it with, with those four guys I mentioned on defense is just freshman is amazing. We've also seen it a little bit on the offensive side of the ball, not as much, but Colton Deary playing a lot on the offensive line. Octavian Smith is a wide receiver. Even Shalik Knott's getting a little bit of playing time last week. These true freshmen really, you know, starting to make their mark on a team that, you know, needs it because of injury, but it's also just such an insurance policy because what, you know, the injuries this team has gone through, the inconsistency a little bit with the wide receiver room, which is, you know, has been more than fine, but maybe not the best as, as we've expected it. But with that, you know, let's get into this offense a little bit. Let's start with Talia Tugavailoa, the quarterback, you know, playing after that injury to his brother. It was it was in doubt to the media for a while. We got some more clarity, not only yesterday, but after the game Saturday. Yesterday was the first time that Talia spoke to us. But not only did he go out and play Saturday, he played really well, climbed up the record books of, of the program a little bit more 32 for 41, 314 yards, only one passing touchdown, a couple, you know, short rush touchdowns as well for the team, um, and no interceptions, only took one sack. So, I mean, what did you see from Talia that that made him, you know, so good against Michigan State? And, you know, just, just talk about his willingness to play and, and how he played, especially after, you know, what happened to his brother last week. Well, it was really impressive that he went out there and played. I mean, obviously, when you see that happen on a football field to Tua, you know, you never want to see that happen. That was pretty horrifying injury. And and obviously you feel for him. That family is really, really close. They kind of lean on each other. Talia mentioned that. I mean, very rarely do you see a player come up to the press conference and, and give an opening statement. He went out of his way to say that he appreciated all the support he was getting. You can tell how much it was weighing on him, that injury to his brother. But it was great to see him go out there and kind of battle through that, um, get some positive uh, feedback from his brother after his injury, telling him he's okay, telling him he wants to go play. Um, and out there, he looked like vintage Talia. I mean, with the exception of maybe sometimes we've seen in the past, you know, he, he takes some chances that maybe he doesn't have to. And sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Obviously, he's got great receivers, but you have to be smart with the ball. It's just this continued development we've seen from him in the mental aspect of the game. Obviously, the physical traits are there, but seeing him be more willing to kind of take what the defense gives him, check the ball down. His running backs and tight ends were really helpful with that in the game. Um, it's just really impressive to see how he's developed and these words that, you know, you hear it every season about the improvement and about improving the mental aspects of the game and limiting turnovers. But he looks like at least through five games that he's really taken that to heart and has really made an improvement in that area of his game, which was probably the biggest criticism that you could give was that sometimes he would spiral with these turnovers. That has definitely not been the case this year. Right. He, especially last game, really just smart decision-making. I, I kind of wish we saw him connect on that, that deep touchdown ball, which is a little overthrown. I forget exactly who that was doing. Maybe it Um, but, but overall pretty good game for Talia. Um, I think the next step, uh, for him, well, like we saw against Michigan, those couple decisions that, that ended up hurting the Terps can't be making those in the heart of big 10 play. Kind of like you mentioned, I don't think we'll, we'll see that, um, and I'd like to see him kind of use his legs more as well because he's shown, especially in these first two uh, Big Ten games, that when he gets out of the pocket and the uh, pocket collapses, sometimes it seems like, you know, he forgets that that he could, he's a, an elusive runner. Um, and, uh, you know, whether it's design runs or, or getting out of the pocket as well, I, I'd like to see him kind of, you know, make more plays happen with his legs. And, and that's also part of being smart, you know, instead of forcing those throws into double coverage, take the extra five yards on the scramble. 
Absolutely. I mean, he's a smaller quarterback by stature. Right. Um, so it definitely helps to sometimes get out of the pocket there, maybe get a clearer line of sight at his receivers downfield. Um, you see a lot of guys do that. You know, you think about the NFL quarterbacks, like, you know, Kyler Murray comes to mind. He did that a lot at Oklahoma. He does that now with Arizona where he's really effective getting out of the pocket. And even if he's not running downfield, it definitely helps him kind of clear up that passing lane so he can, you know, slot that pass into that tight, uh, tight window that maybe he wouldn't be able to, if he's standing behind, you know, his big offensive line. Right. But nonetheless, really good performance from Talia. Uh, maybe not the best of the best from him, what like we've seen, um, but but a good sign as Big Ten play continues to heat up here. Let's move from the passing game into the running game a little bit here, Emmett. Uh, obviously, you know, we've talked about Roman Hemby all season long being Mr. Consistency, the number one back, but was kept somewhat quiet on Saturday. The guy who shined, though, for Maryland was Antoine Littleton. Really just an amazing journey for him since he got to Maryland, you know, reshaping his body, becoming this, you know, elusive running back that a lot, not a lot of people thought he could be. I, I think the people that were familiar with this game knew that he could if he committed himself to the craft. But Emmett, let's talk about Antoine here a little bit. 19 attempts, 120 yards on um, on Saturday against Michigan State. Didn't get in the end zone after that big run, got stopped at, at the two and had four chances to get in, but didn't. Nonetheless, really good game from him. What did you see from Antoine Littleton? Not only Saturday, but but this season so far as well. I have to say, Antoine Littleton is one of my favorite players to watch just visually. I know he's reshaped his body. He's cut down weight. He's put on more muscle, but he is still a big guy, at least for a running back. I mean, he, he seems really hard to take down. Um, I know Spencer Anderson mentioned that some of the Michigan state players were telling him during the game that, you know, that that guy's hard to take down. Like, you know, I'm a little scared of of tackling him. Um, When he got out in space on that, it was 68 yards. I think his big run down to the, the one or two yard line. I didn't know that guys that big could run that fast. Um, it was it was really impressive to to see what he put together there. He had his touchdown. I know he didn't get in on the end zone on the goal line there. He had a touchdown earlier in the game. Um, just overall, it's it's really good to have that kind of depth at the running back position. We obviously know what kind of a toll that can take on your body playing that position. Uh, to have a guy like Roman Hemby that can step up and then have Antoine Littleton step up. And Colby McDonald played a good game. And Ramon Brown continues to improve as a true freshman. It's just such a uh, an advantage for Maryland to have that kind of depth of that position. And, and Antoine Littleton's emergence has been really, really valuable and only get more valuable as the season goes on. 100%. Him and Hemby have really formed this, you know, dynamic one-two duo between the two of them. Like you mentioned, Cole McDonald, who played for the most part last year while these guys were redshirting, and the true freshman Ramon Brown also making an impact. So the Maryland running game overall, Emmett, you'd say better than, than we expected heading into the season? I would have to say so. I mean, you could argue they've been better than the passing offense, which is pretty crazy to say, Um, not necessarily yards wise, but in terms of the impact on the game. I mean, they've been outstanding, um, which is something that was a possibility. We just didn't really know what we were going to get. There was a lot of uncertainty. I mean, we didn't even know who was going to get the majority of the carries. We still don't really know who's going to get the majority of the carries. I think what we found out that doesn't really matter because there's so many options that that can that can make a play when you need them to. Um, and we know in the big 10, it gets cold in some of these games. Sometimes it might be, you know, kind of hard to throw the ball around some of these big teams in the, in the trenches that are going to kind of pound the ball down your throat. Um, it's definitely good to have a running game going late into the season and maybe take a little load off Talia, which can in turn allow him to kind of break off these, these big games where, you know, the defense maybe keys in on, on the running game. And then all of a sudden you have, you know, three or four amazing receivers that can kind of make you pay for that. 
Right. There's a lot to be said just in football in general about the run game opening up the pass and vice versa. For Maryland, we've kind of seen their receivers get a lot of attention from opposing defensive backs, rightfully so. And it's kind of allowed this running game to open up and show that, you know, these guys are really good players, too, and, and they can do it as well. Um, so with that, we'll move from the running game, which has been excellent this year, to say the least, to the receivers on Saturday against Michigan State. Uh, Jay Sean Jones, the leading receiver with six receptions for 60 yards. Uh, second leading receiver, we'll, we'll bring the tight ends into this as well. Second leading receiver, Corey Deitches, three receptions for 54 yards. And then Rakim Jarrett had five receptions, for 41. And then, I mean, I think, what were there, 10 different guys who received the pass on Saturday? Emmett, what did you see from the receiving game Saturday overall? And just, you know, back to Talia, his ability to space the ball out with all these guys. I mean, I think it just goes back to the patience that we've seen from Talia. He's not necessarily keying in on his guys. I mean, you have so many people that you can kind of distribute the wealth to. I mean, you know, you mentioned Jay Sean Jones led the team in receptions. He's been ultra reliable coming back from an injury for the second time. He looks like probably the most reliable receiver mm-hmm. on the team, maybe him or Rakim Jarrett, one of the two. Um, it's been really impressive just to see the depth of this wide receiver room and really of the passing game that we knew was coming. Um, not necessarily one guy standing out. We'll get to uh, Purdue in a minute, but, you know, they kind of have one receiver that's kind of elevated himself to the top of their their chart. Um, it's really impressive just to see the depth of talent and, and understand just how difficult that must be for teams to game plan against. I mean, when you have Jayshon Jones and Rakim Jarrett on one side of the field, and then you have Dante Demas and Jacob Copeland on the other side of the field, or Corey Deitches or CJ Dupree or, or a running back or any of these guys, I can't imagine that there's a team in the country that has the personnel to put out a defense that can truly stop every single one of them. So, I mean, every single play, Talia's got someone to go to. And you saw that on Saturday when he was able to to give it to 10 different people through the air, which, I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I got to imagine that's that's got to be the best mark we've seen from Talia since he's been here. Yeah, really unbelievable. Uh, I think it, it, it might have happened one or two more times, but just the fact that he is the, you know, insurance to be able to spread the wealth to 10 really talented guys we'll read them up to you off you read off a couple earlier but jay sean jones Corey deitches rakim jarrett cj dupree roman hemby antoine littleton jacob copeland dante demas ty felton and colby mcdonald so you have all three of your running backs who are playing contributing in the passing game you've both your tight ends who have really turned into elusive pass catchers a little bit uh, of, of difference between Corey deitches it's probably more of a speedster, more of a receiving tight end than C.J. Dippery, but Dippery with that catch on Saturday, I mean, that was unbelievable. It's kind of proven he could be a threat in that regard as well. And then just the depth of this receiving room, it, it really is unbelievable at large. I kind of want to get a little more specifically into these guys. You mentioned Jay Sean Jones has probably been the best and most consistent receiver this year. Kim Jarrett's been right up there with him. But let's talk about Dante Demas a little bit. Uh, seems, you know, we talk about him every week, but Looked over to us in practice last week, kind of said he was getting his twitch back. Uh, Only one reception for 16 yards last week. Are are we going to see Dante Dimas start to heat up here in conference play? I mean, it's amazing. It's only been a year and now four days until he got injured last year, and he's been out in the field all season. So that's an accomplishment in itself. But for him to to break out, is that something you're expecting as as we move forward here, Emmett? Well, I think you said it. It's pretty incredible that he's been on the field all five weeks of of the season so far, considering the injury that he had and how serious it was. And I'm pretty sure he had a separate injury that he suffered during his rehab process. Um, it's pretty impressive that he's out there in the first place. Obviously, he was their best receiver last year before he got injured. He was one of the best receivers in the Big Ten, really in the country. And you definitely want him to kind of step up into that role that he was last year. 
I don't know if we're ever going to see the Dante Demas that we saw before the injury. I can't speak to that. Uh, only time will tell, but you definitely hope you can get to that. He still has all the physical tools to do it. I mean, he's still got the speed back. Uh, he's he's a big guy. I mean, you don't really realize until you're standing next to him how much of a matchup problem he is just with his height. Um, he is super athletic still. And as you said, he's kind of getting back in the flow of things, getting back to 100%. If he does get back to 100%, I see no reason why he can't come back to being the team's number one receiver, at least in that conversation. But I mean, only time will tell. And, and there's so many receivers on this team that it's kind of hard to, to, to pinpoint one guy that'll kind of stand out every week. So, you know, maybe he has been back at 100%. It just hasn't been his time to catch the ball. I mean, no one on this team really has had that huge explosive game yet. And I think that's just a testament to the depth more than it is to testament to anyone's individual ability. Right. It's not really a problem where you're talking about his, you know, lack of production, but the passing game and the running game and the receivers have still been really good this year. So it's a good problem to have in, in that regard. If you're worried about Dante Demas's production, once he gets to, uh, his his old self, or if he does, that just adds another element to the offense. But a couple more things I wanted to touch on before we get into this Purdue matchup. Emmett, let's talk about the offensive line uh, against Michigan State. Only allowing one sack, been really, really cohesive uh, in all season long, but especially in the last two games against Michigan and Michigan State, really giving the offense and Talia a chance to make things happen opposed to some of these rush plays we've seen in the past when you're going against the best of the best in the Big Ten and they're just dominating you in the trenches. That just isn't the case this year, Emmett. Absolutely. I mean, that's been probably the thing that has most held the Terps back since they joined the Big Ten is kind of adjusting to that physicality. I mean, Maryland has been able to get pretty good players at the skill possessions, skill positions, excuse me, for a while now, just considering the area they're in, the depth of talent, you know, the talent evaluation, like we said, but getting the offensive line and the defensive line, but we're specifically talking about the O-line here, up to that standard has been a process. And now, you see all these guys, they're so experienced. They played with each other, not to mention they're super talented. I mean, I, I just saw a mock draft this morning that Jalen Duncan's projected to still get drafted in the first round. Um, it's pretty impressive what they've put together, this unit, um, and and how well they've gelled together, like you said. I mean, going against Michigan and Michigan State in the first two Big Ten games, those are two teams that generally have kind of beaten Maryland up up front. Uh, that has not been the case uh, in the last two weeks. Michigan State's defensive line was barely able to generate anything meaningful against the Terps. And, and I think that's just a testament to this, co- the cohesiveness, like you said, of the offensive line and, and kind of this ability that they, they've, they've put together to kind of work in, in, in tandem with each other and, and just completely stifle these front seven that are really talented and have a couple guys that will play professionally. hundred percent. And talk about, you know, the offensive line, the cohesion and all that. Part of Maryland's issue to start the season, and especially last season, was discipline and penalties. It kind of goes hand-in-hand with the offensive line. They've cleaned up their act a lot uh, since that SMU game and just uh, another part of their cohesion and just how good they've been this year. Yeah, I mean, the penalties were killing them earlier in the season. I mean, it didn't cost them a game, but it came real close against SMU Mm -hmm. to costing them a game. We were worried that it was going to cost them a game uh, in the Big Ten, and it still might. Who knows? But um, it's still early. But to see this improvement and and to see it just week to week. I mean, you go from like 15 penalties to one from SMU to Michigan. I mean, that is pretty impressive coaching. I mean, I think that's, that, that, that's just gotta be unlocks there. Just how impressive it is to, to, to kind of instill that discipline week to week. Um, and, and I know he said that he kind of showed what, what the people were saying about him, kind of the, the hate that, that the team was getting for its discipline. 
Well, it's, it seems to have worked because, I mean, they've cleaned up their act the past two weeks, like you said, and, and, and they're no longer costing the team yards. They're doing quite the opposite at this point. Right. They kind of heard the murmurs and, and capitalized it there. Who knows if it'll hurt them in the future? Uh, we will see. Um, but definitely the team has cleaned up its act without a doubt, and it's it's helped them win some ball games here and, or, and at least be competitive. Last thing before we get to Purdue, uh, can't talk about the Terps without talking about their best offensive player who doesn't even play offense, uh, Chad Ryland, the kicker from Eastern Michigan, has really proved himself as one of the best kickers in the entire country. He proved he wasn't invincible, though, against Michigan State. Missed a 50-yarder in some overcast weather. Everyone was like, wow, uh, unbelievable. But then he followed that up with a 51-yarder in, in overcast weather in the fourth quarter. Emmett, just how good has this guy been for Maryland? I mean, it's pretty incredible what having a good kicker does for your team. I mean, like – Obviously, no hate to anyone that's that's played for Maryland in the in the past couple of years, but I mean, just having the ability now, where we're unlike you know in the last couple of years, where you know maybe you have to get to like the twenty yard line or so before you start feeling confident that your kicker is going to make it. I mean, like they've said, if you get to like the thirty five yard line or so, you're feeling pretty good that you're coming off the field with points. I mean, he missed that one kick. I'm going to give him a pass on missing a fifty yarder wet weather. I mean, it is what it is. It happens. No one's no one's perfect, but. I mean, like you said, he followed it up with another 50-yarder. It's pretty amazing, not only the range he has, but the accuracy he has. Hasn't missed an extra point yet. Um, the tandem of, of of Ethan Goff and uh, Colton Spangler on the snap and the hold, they've been really good as well. Uh, we saw Michigan State fumbled that a little bit in the last game. Um, just all in all, the special teams has been pretty solid, at least, you know, maybe, maybe with the exception of a couple uh, kickoff return blunders, but... It's been pretty impressive to see what what Chad Ryland has done for this team and and just the insurance he gives you, the comfortability he kind of gives you when, you know, you no longer have to get down in the red zone to get points. You only have to get a couple yards over midfield. Yeah, and, you know, college special teams, especially college kickers, it it can be memed so much on the internet and, and joked about. And you don't really think about it when you're watching professional football, but it's so, so important in, in college football. I'm happy you mentioned that play where Michigan State fumbled that uh, that extra point snap. But Chad Ryland has, has been the key to this special team so far, and he, he has and he will help Maryland continue to win games. Been really impressive seeing him. But all right, we'll put the uh, Michigan State game behind us. Emmett, any last thoughts there before we move on to Purdue? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, it, it's good to be 4-1, and one, as I wrote in my column today. I mean, we've been 4-1 and one or been sitting here at four and one before um, there's still a long way to go, but certainly reason for optimism heading into this Purdue game, which would be a pretty good challenge for this team. 100%. And we'll move to Purdue noon game, Maryland hosts Purdue. Purdue is three and two, a team that I think is much better than that record, but we will get into that. The DraftKings sportsbook odds, uh, Maryland is minus three, three point favorites. The over under is 58 and a half which I can confirm is now the new lowest under for a Maryland uh, football game this season because we did the research last week when it was 60 against Michigan State. Maybe that closed at a lower number because of the weather. Not exactly sure there. But at the time of recording, Wednesday afternoon, that is the new lowest over under for Maryland football this season. And then Maryland is minus 145 on the money line, while Purdue is plus 125. Emmett, you know, it's going to be a noon game, Big Ten Network, CQ Stadium, family weekend. What are your initial thoughts here? A really, really big game for the Terps. Absolutely. I mean, you look at this stretch of games and it starts with Purdue and obviously we're focusing on Purdue, but these next couple games here to end this month, this is here where they have a chance to rack up these wins. We talk about, you know, improving from last year where you go six and six, you win the pinstripe bowl. It's a good step in the, in, in the right direction for this team. But now you have an opportunity to get to six wins in the month of October with a couple games still in hand. 
Um, it starts here with Purdue. I mean, Purdue is probably, as you said, better than their record indicates. They play Penn State down to the wire. They beat a pretty good Minnesota team, albeit without their best running back, but they still beat a good Minnesota team. Um, I think that they're going to be a pretty good challenge for this team. They might not be the brand name like Michigan State coming in where you think, okay, they've got a good football team, but but this Purdue team is pretty good and it all starts with their quarterback. I'm sure we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get into him a little bit more, but it all starts with their quarterback and their passing game. Um, they're a pretty explosive team and it's definitely going to be a, a good test for this Maryland defense that has looked pretty good so far, but, but this might be the best offense they're going to face uh, at least to this point in the season. Yeah, I'm happy you mentioned the not a brand name part. I mean, they just killed Minnesota, not killed, but they, they won 20 to 10 at Minnesota on the road, a game they had control of pretty much the whole time. And if Minnesota was the best team in the Big Ten West, look at the attrition in that division. Is, is Purdue the best team in the Big Ten West? Wisconsin fires their head coach. Minnesota loses to Purdue at home, so we got to say Purdue's better than them. And Iowa has just been, you know, not Iowa this season. And I think, what, Northwestern's first place in the conference right now, and they're one and four. Funny how divisions work. But is Purdue the best, before we dissect them fully, is Purdue the best team in the Big Ten West right now, Emmett? Is is it crazy to say that? It's definitely not crazy to say that. I mean, I'm not going to say that anyone's the best, best team in the Big Ten West because I'm not sure anyone's really shown that that they've separated themselves from the pack. I mean, you can make a case that Illinois is the best team in the Big Ten West, and they definitely aren't one of the best teams in the Big Ten. I mean, we harp on this a lot, and it is coming. The, the divisions are going to go eventually, but if Maryland was in the Big Ten West, they would probably be playing in the Big Ten Championship game this year. Big Ten West is a lot weaker than the Big Ten East. and But that, that's not to take anything away from Purdue. They might very well be there in Indianapolis playing the winner of the Big Ten East come December. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. There's still a lot of season to go. I think that Purdue started out a little bit slower than maybe they hoped. But that Minnesota win proves that they might be catching their groove as we get down to the home stretch here. 100%. To me, this is a team that could easily be 5-0. and I watched that Purdue-Syracuse game in the end. Purdue pretty much choked that one away. And then that Purdue-Penn State game in week one Thursday night was an epic battle that that could have gone either way as well. Ross State was rocking for that. But let's get into Aiden O'Connell, Emmett. You, you can't talk about Purdue without mentioning him. I think, what, 24 years old now, sixth-year quarterback right there with C.J. Stroud and Talia Tugavaloa as the best quarterbacks in the Big Ten. You know, what makes Aiden O'Connell a special to you? You know, he's one of the best quarterbacks in, in Purdue history right now. Like I said, one of the best in the Big Ten. Really just just a weapon and, and part of the reason why Purdue is so good this year. Well, I think he's incredibly comfortable in Purdue's system. I mean, when you when you, when you you see the, the continuity they've had there, Jeff Brom is the head coach, Aiden O'Connell there at the quarterback. You know, as you said, he's been there for a while. He understands the college game. He understands understands what he needs to do and he's, he's an incredibly accurate quarterback the kind of guy that that you trust not to make a big mistake uh you know in a big moment with that kind of experience you know you hope that he won't make a big mistake you know throw a bad interception force somebody into coverage he's just a reliable player uh and, he, and he's super talented too uh he's kind of got the best of both worlds there and and there's a reason why he's considered one of the best quarterbacks in the big 10 i mean he's got all the physical tools he's got all the mental tools and he's in a good system where I mean, they throw the ball a lot. So, you know, he gets a lot of usage and a lot of ability to show off that arm of his. 100%. Uh, and and I want to mention this piece by Nicole Auerbach of The Athletic. I think it was Nicole who wrote it uh, right before week one. You know, he came in completely unheralded with Purdue. I think he he basically forced Jeff Brom or the program to, to bring him on. And he came on as either the eighth or ninth string quarterback, something crazy like that. And he's really just excelled here as a starter. So great story, nonetheless, for him. I, I think, Emmett, you mentioned yesterday, this guy might throw the best spiral in college football. Um, really just just a fundamentally sound quarterback, someone who's comfortable playing in the Purdue offense. 
Um, he's not going to destroy you uh, with with his legs by any means, but a, a guy who, you know, can make a lot of damage happen, and a guy who certainly will will not be feared, or excuse me, certainly will not be instilled with fear when he comes on the road to uh, to play a big, a major Big Ten game and a big game for that program as well. Absolutely, I mean, I mean, like you said, he's not going to really kill you on the ground or or make these these huge athletic plays like you you see some of these top quarterbacks. I mean, going to the NFL, you know. He's not Josh Allen. He's not Patrick Mahomes, but but he is that kind of traditional pocket passer that is really good at just doing what he does. And what he does is he distributes the ball so effectively to his receivers. And I mean, it all it all goes through him. The offense is centered around him and, and they, they're comfortable placing that weight on his shoulders because they know how capable he is of kind of taking over a game, even even if he's not you know, running around and making these crazy plays. He's just so solid that you kind of know what you're getting out of him and he's not going to lose you a game. Right. Just the ultra consistent quarterback, a guy in college football, you know, with his bold, that's what it takes to win games. And I'm happy you mentioned his receivers because that's a perfect segue into Charlie Jones, the rare intra big 10 West division transfer from Iowa. I mean, this guy's come to Purdue and he's been a superstar. I mean, I remember watching uh, that Penn State game. What did he have? 12 receptions, 153 yards and a touchdown. I'm like, I mean, this guy's the best receiver in, in, the, in the country. I mean, obviously, that, that's probably not the case. But he's a guy that uh, has, you know, put Purdue in position to win football games. Um, Reception-wise, game by game here, 12, 9, 11, 9, and 6. Obviously, Aiden O'Connell's favorite uh, target this year. So what makes Charlie Jones so good here to you, Emmett? I mean, he's just, once again, he, he's just this kind of diamond in the rough that, you know, we, we talked about with Maryland and Purdue's got him too, where, you know, this guy kind of comes out of nowhere and, and maybe it's a testament to Iowa's offense. Obviously we could talk for a long time about how they're not very good at utilizing their weapons, but it's just so impressive how he's kind of burst on the scene here and become O'Connell's favorite target so quickly. Um, and, I mean, you, you say, you know, jokingly, he's the best receiver in the country and, and talent wise, sure. He probably isn't, but I mean, looking at the stats, he's top three in the country in receiving yards, receiving touchdowns, and receptions per game. So, I mean, he was added to the Boletnikoff Award watch list this morning. Um, Overdue. He's just one of the best uh, receivers in the Big Ten. And, I mean, I, I can say that, uh, you know, the, the trash talk between me and, and some of my friends who, you know, go to Penn State and, and we're talking about the game that's coming up. The first thing that they said when that started recently was watch out for Charlie Jones this week because, you know, he, he he's a guy that could play in the NFL one day. Without a doubt. And just want to get into one more guy on this offense before we take more of a, a bigger look at Purdue, just just briefly. Um, Devin Mockaby, the running back, uh, didn't really do much the first few weeks, but kind of was a huge reason why they won at Minnesota. 11 attempts, 112 rushing yards, one touchdown. When you think of Purdue, you, that offense, you think of uh, O'Connell and uh, Charlie Jones, kind of similar with Maryland, where you think about Tugavaloa and that receiving corpse here. But, you know, they've proved they can hurt you in, in all facets of the game on the offensive side of the ball. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, in the Big Ten, you can't be one-faceted. You can't be one-sided. You have to be an offense that's versatile. And, and like you said, Mockaby has really kind of given them a little bit of a boost in that running game that – they don't necessarily utilize too much. I mean, we saw in the Penn State game, maybe to the detriment, they just threw the ball over and over and over again and, and ended up stopping the clock and giving the ball back to the Nittany Lions. But, I mean, yeah, having a good running game is definitely something that, that you need in the Big Ten. And we talked about it with Maryland. Purdue kind of has the same thing, where, where maybe there's a little bit of question marks about what their running game is going to bring to the table. You know that the passing attack is going to do its thing. 
I mean, if they're, if they're running the ball effectively, they're a really hard offense to slow down. And that goes for anyone that goes for, for anyone at the bottom of the big 10 or at the top, they're, they're talented enough that they can hurt you uh, on the ground or, or in the air. And they're, they're an incredibly hard team to defend. Without a doubt, um, Vegas obviously expecting a little bit of a lower scoring game compared to Maryland's uh, past games. And while Purdue's offense can be pretty potent, their defense is also pretty good as well. Uh, middle of the pack statistically so far uh, in the Big Ten, I think seventh in scoring defense, seventh in rushing defense, and ninth in passing defense. But, you know, obviously a lot of that has to do with that first Penn State game where they were battling back and forth. They did have a shutout against Indiana State and then giving up 28 points to Florida Atlantic at home probably had a, had a or 26 points to Florida Atlantic at home also had some stuff to do with that. But this is a really solid Purdue defense in my opinion. Uh, Loxley mentioned their front seven as something that stood out to them him yesterday, um, and then last week safety Cam Allen uh, picked off a pair of passes at Minnesota. One Big Ten defensive player of the week. I mean, does this, this defense you know scare you by any means, or just you know kind of your average middle of the pack Big Ten defense that that you'll see in, in you know what should be a tough Big Ten game? Nothing comes easy in this conference. Absolutely. I mean, there's no defense in the Big Ten that that I would say isn't a little bit worrying. Um, but yeah, I mean, Purdue has a, as you said, a pretty middle of the pack defense um, that could be enough to to get the job done on Saturday. Um, but I have to say, it's pretty impressive, uh, just a testament to the job that Jeff Brom has done there as head coach, that you lose a guy, a first round pick, George Karloftis, last year, and you come back and you still have a pretty good front seven. I mean, for a school like Purdue that that generally isn't getting these like super heralded uh, high level recruits. It's pretty impressive the way that kind of year in year out they're they're pretty solid, um, and I think that goes to the defensive end. I mean they're a tough team, they're a hard nosed team. They're going to generate pressure. The pressure is going to be on Maryland's offensive line to produce and and, and to to open up these gaps for the running game, protect uh, Talia in the pocket. Um, so we'll see how they do, but you know I would expect Maryland to not necessarily have their way on offense, but but to to produce and, and to put up a decent amount of points. Um, and, and I would expect honestly the same from Purdue. I think we could be looking at a pretty high scoring game. Right, I'm happy you mentioned Carol Aftis too, because Ryan Kerrigan, also NFL guy for your Commanders, uh, for a little bit played uh, D end um, at Purdue as well. I mean, this is a team that's just traditionally known for having a, a good front seven. Is something that that'll help them win some games in Big Ten football. But we'll move forward from that. Uh, like you said, Emmett, you think might be a little higher scoring than we think, which segues us perfectly into some p- predictions here brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Already mentioned the lines earlier. Maryland favored by three over under 58 and a half. Emmett, I'll, I'll let you go first. Maybe give a, a key or two to the game here and then just a, a score prediction. And and yeah. I mean, I think the key to the game, like we just said, it's going to be the secondaries. I think uh, both teams are going to pass the ball a lot. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of uh, passes thrown. We're going to see a lot of yards through the air. Uh, It's going to be, I think, a question of who can play the best red zone defense, who can kind of bend, not break, maybe force a couple turnovers that that really, you know, spark some momentum and kind of stunt the other team's uh, momentum there. Um, And also, I think the running game, I mean, Maryland on paper at least has the, the advantage in that department going into the game, but you never know what can happen in a, in a Big Ten game. Uh, we'll see, you know, who gets the majority of the carries, whether it's Hemby, whether it's Littleton, maybe McDonald, you know, steps up. We'll see what happens. But uh, I'm definitely looking forward to what I expect to be a relatively high-scoring game. Um, I would say my my score prediction, I would, I would err on the side that I think Maryland will win close. I think they get a slight cover, I'd say 35-31, which I believe would give me the over as well. Um, 
so yeah, 35, 31 Maryland in a, in a close game at home and in front of what is trending, like it should be a pretty good crowd. Hopefully a good crowd. That's definitely going to be a thing to watch for this weekend. But I, I like those points you make, Emmett. I think for me, this this matchup comes down to the two quarterbacks, to the three best in the Big Ten, at least coming in preseason-wise. Um, I think whoever, whichever quarterback plays better out of Tugavaloa or O'Connell will lead their team to a win. I think the spread indicates these teams are pretty even, all things considered. But Maryland being at home, getting the slight advantage. Two things to watch for me. I think the quarterback battle being one, and I think the other one, which kind of relates directly to it, and you, and you mentioned it, the turnover battle. Turnover battle is so important in, in Big Ten football game in and game out, no matter who's on the other side of the field. Um, and I think whoever can force the, the quarterback to make more mistakes will be the team that wins the game. I'm going to go with Maryland. I, I'm liking the way their secondary has been playing recently. Maybe can present some different looks, force O'Connell into to one or two interceptions. So I'm going to go with Maryland. Uh, I'm going to also have the overhitting here. Um, exact score prediction. Let's go uh, 31 to... Hmm. These score predictions are hard. Sometimes you got to come up with them on the spot. I mean, you, you don't. If you want the over here, you got to be at least like what twenty eight. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to audible here. I'm going to go thirty four Maryland Purdue twenty eight. Um, I like more than a field goal game somewhere around a touchdown. Maybe Purdue gets a backdoor to cover there. I think Maryland will control this game. Uh, maybe not from start to finish, but I think in the in the second half, from what we've seen defensively from the Terps and Brian Williams side, I, I think they'll kind of dictate the tempo there, allow their offense to make some plays on the field in the second half and kind of control the pace of the game. So I got 34-28 Maryland. You have, what, 35-31 Maryland? Yep. Very, very similar predictions here. I think we both have the over unless something's wrong with the math in my head. Um, I don't think it is. I think we both have the over there. Um, And, uh, yeah, we both got Maryland covering that three-point spread. Uh, Emmett, anything else uh, the listeners should know about this matchup in Maryland football before we we head to break here? And and, then we'll come back to you next week. I mean, I think it it should be a good game. It should be an exciting game. I mean, if you can make it out to the game, it should be a good atmosphere. It should be a lot of fun. Um, and, and yeah, just looking forward to keeping the season going. It's been a lot of fun so far covering this team. And, you know, I can't wait to see what the second half of the season holds. Without a doubt. Hopefully that crowd is a lot better on Saturday than it has been for the SMU and the Michigan State game. Not on students. Students have done a pretty good job, all things considered. Um would like to see the Maryland families and the alumni base who are local, you know, get out to support the Terps because if not now, then when this team has been playing really good football. And if they win this game, they should be well on their way to seven and one entering November. But this is the one that'll, uh, that'll decide some things here. Emmett. Absolutely. I mean, pivotal game here, kind of going to potentially determine how the season goes, at least in terms of an expectation standpoint. I think that that win over SMU and the win over Michigan state, you're looking at, they should probably be a bull eligible barring something catastrophic, but you know, it's about taking that next step. We talked about this all preseason. It's about improving on last year. And and this is a real opportunity to do that. Right. Really tough game against Purdue. We both like the Terps in a close one, but we will see what happens Uh, for Emmett Siegel. I'm Ben Dixon. Thank you for joining us on the test studio times podcast. We'll see you next week.